Welcome to the Climb Podcast. I'm Lynn Robbins. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Amy Morris about how to teach procedures. Dr. Morris is an associate professor in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine in the Department of Medicine at the University of Washington School of Medicine. Amy's clinical niche is point-of-care ultrasound. Amy, welcome. Thank you. You've done a lot of work in the area of procedural training. How do you define procedures? Well, I think most of us know a procedure when we see one. I think you could think broadly beyond what we normally think of as a procedure, which is essentially when you approach a patient with a sharp, pointy object, be it a scalpel or a needle. I would add to those things uh, interventions like pap smears, reduction of a shoulder dislocation, things that may not involve invasion of the body but may be uncomfortable. What makes teaching procedural skills different from any other type of teaching? I think there are a few key differences. One, of course, is the potential for harm. Many procedures are performed with sharp, pointy objects of some sort or another. With that, you carry a risk of harm to the patient, which is different from many of the interactions we have with our patients on a day-to-day basis. Many procedures are done in an urgent fashion. That also differentiates it from many of the teaching interactions that we have with our patients. Is there an overall approach to teaching trainees to do procedures? Having a structured approach to procedural teaching can help tremendously with those feelings of anxiety on the part of the learner, the teacher, (laughs) as well as the patient. You almost always have time to do at least a bare minimum pre-procedure huddle. You'll have to supervise the procedure and do a little teaching while it's happening, and then a post-procedure debrief. Each of those steps can be two minutes. Making a conscious effort to make those steps can help relieve the anxiety, prepare your learner, give the patient a better experience, and give your learner uh, a chance to improve with the next performance of that procedure. Well, let's try and unpack those things. So the huddle, what do you do in a pre-procedure huddle? The pre-procedure huddle has two major components. One is to diagnose your learner, figure out what they know about this procedure already. What's their experience level? What's their comfort level? How well do they really understand what it is they're about to do? And then priming the learner for what's going to happen during the procedure, and in particular, your role as their supervisor so that they anticipate you're going to be there, you're going to be there to help them if they need help, to provide uh, direction whether they recognize they need it or not, and that may include interrupting the procedure. You'll minimize that as much as you can, but if you need to, you will stop them, you'll make a correction, and you will hand the procedure back to them. That way, if during the procedure you do have to do those things, it's not interpreted as a failure on the part of the learner. Uh, They've expected that that may happen, and they're ready to accept that and ready to accept the procedure back when it's time to hand it back to them. Do you usually do this with patients who are conscious? So good question. Being aware of the conscious patient is a huge part of procedural teaching. The key learning components related to that happen during the actual procedure. Things like uh, word choice. Everybody knows that oops is a cliche. You You don't want to hear your doctor say oops while they're doing a procedure. But there are other things that the patient may not like to hear, such as stop, you're doing that wrong, or let me show you the right way to do that. And preparing your learner before the procedure that you plan on using specific language because the patient is awake, you encourage them to use specific language and to be aware of the patient's comfort. 
can go a long way to setting the stage for a learning experience that's comfortable for everybody, including the patient. Okay, so you move from the huddle and you decide if you need to do a demonstration. If you have all the time in the world that we'd love to include uh, or a demonstration of the procedure, now that may not be required with a senior learner who's already not just seen but done many of these, but with beginning learners, having them uh, either watch you do the procedure in a simulated or real environment or at the very least watching a, a training video, for example, so that they can see the procedure from start to finish. You will at the very least have time to spend one minute asking your learner what is it we're about to do? Why are we doing it? Walk me through what you're going to do. That's a very easy phrase to memorize. Walk me through what we're going to do. Uh, and then get a sense from their response about how well prepared they are to actually go through those physical steps that they're about to describe to you. Have you ever had a learner that could describe the procedure to you but actually fumbles? Absolutely. Which is why <laughs> the next step of intra-procedural teaching uh, is so crucial using nonverbal teaching techniques. Everybody knows the universal signal for stop, which is putting a hand up with your wrist flexed. If you need to stop what's about to happen without alarming the patient, doing that particularly in a quick manner and right next to the procedural field will stop your learner without creating uh, unnecessary anxiety on the part of your awake patient. Similarly, phrases that the learner will understand but the patient will not can be very useful. So the example I'll give there is 45. When you're placing a central line in a patient's neck, it's important to use a approximately 45 degree angle with your needle as you're entering the patient's neck to get to the vessel. Saying the word 45 reminds your learner to maintain a 45 degree angle without, uh, again, alarming the patient because they don't know what that means. What I think many good procedural teachers do is find a way to communicate how your learner should do things, physical movements, without simply taking the equipment away and showing them. It takes practice um, and it takes precision, but I would encourage procedural teachers to uh, play around with verbal techniques for teaching physical movements. So for example, being very precise in your language, rotate 20 degrees now, change your angle such that the syringe is parallel to the floor is better than, all right, now rotate a little bit. Okay, now drop the, no, not that far. Uh, no, lift it up a little bit, no, a little more, a little more. Okay, stop. Um, we've all heard that kind of procedural teaching. If from the outset you can use precise language to say, rotate clockwise, 20 degrees, perfect. Okay, now change your angle of your transducer. So you're making one movement at a time and you're being very precise in the directions you're giving the learner. Can make a world of difference in terms of learner frustration. And after your learner finishes doing the procedure, you said you do a debrief. You also mentioned earlier that the debrief is often overlooked, even though it's critical for learning. So what are the components of a good post-procedure debrief? Key components of a post-procedural debrief include asking the learner to self-reflect on their performance uh, or what they just saw, if they're observing. If you start laying out how you feel they did, you take away some of that uh, self-analysis that is so crucial for self-improvement. It's really the foundation of uh, procedural training in terms of deliberate practice.
thinking about how you did, how you can improve. There's an old baseball expression, practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. And so, uh, so repetition, if you can't physically repeat it, um, you can uh, at least anticipate what you're going to be doing next time and how you would do it better is important. So asking the learner how they did or what they thought about what they just saw um, is, is an important first step. Making sure that you address not just what needs improvement, but also what they did well. The last piece of the, the post-procedure uh, debrief, making concrete plans with the learner or having them make concrete plans for what they could do better next time, how they could do it differently next time. And even if they did it perfectly, there's always something to put in there. What would you ne do next time if you encountered significant bleeding at this stage or if the patient suddenly complained of dyspnea as you're doing this? It sounds like a, a lot of what you're doing is coaching an athlete. Coaching is a good way to think about what you're doing as a procedural teacher. You are preparing your athlete to go out there and do a specific skill. You either know the athlete well already, and if you don't, you try to find out as best you can whether they've done this before, if they know what they're about to do, how they're going to do it, uh, prepare them for what's about to happen. And then as you're watching them compete, if you will, um, you give them specific instructions both on what they're doing well and what they could do better. And at the end, you try to make them revisit that performance by asking them what specifically they feel they did well or could do differently next time. Then they go on to do it again and again and as they say, not just practice makes perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. So Amy, I want to thank you for coming in today and sharing your tips for teaching procedures. Absolutely, that was fun. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this CLIMB podcast on how to teach procedures. Check out the other podcasts in this series for helpful tips on teaching effectively and efficiently in busy clinical settings.